Please take your Bibles and go to Matthew's Gospel. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 19. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. If you're visiting with us or left your cell phone at home, haha. <clears throat> you pull out that black Bible and chair in front of you and go to the back and go to page 16. Page 16 for Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 26. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16 through 26. Again, page 16 in that black Bible. I'm gonna read, and then we'll do our study for this morning about the young rich man. And behold, coming to him, one said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's one who is good. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Of what quality? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor father and mother, and you shall love your neighbors yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I've kept. What am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you want to be complete, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But hearing this word, the young man left grieved for he was one who owned much possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were astonishingly shocked and said, then who can be saved? And fixing his gaze upon them, Jesus said to them, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Reciting the Pledge of Allegiance has caused quite a stir. Back in October of last year, a teacher was reassigned duties to avoid the Pledge of Allegiance after complaints over him regularly kneeling in front of his whole class. This was in New Jersey. Another article. Tay Anderson's first meeting as a new secretary of the Denver Board of Education began with an act of protest. On December 19th, Anderson remained seated while the room recited the Pledge of Allegiance. And he says he will continue to sit in future board meetings until systemic double standards in American society are remedied, as the article says. Interesting, I I, I looked up the history of the Pledge of Allegiance. The pledge was written in August of 1892 by the socialist minister Francis Bellamy. It was originally published in I guess this was like an article of some kind, The Youth's Companion, 
on September 8th, 1892, and it read like this. I pledge allegiance to my flag and the republic for which it stands, one nation, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. The pledge was, uh, it underwent editing twice, um, 1923, and then again in 1954, in 1954 they added the phrase under God. Interesting little bit of info about the original salute to the flag. They used to salute the flag. And then when it came to that part, um, I pledge allegiance to my flag, the arm was extended to the flag with the palm up. Um, it was changed in World War II. You can imagine why. <coughs> because it resembled the Nazi salute. So they actually changed it to be over your heart. Now as Christians we can have um, what I would classify as a tissue issue about uh, the flag. Should you stand for it? Should you say it? Should you not say it? Etc. Etc. But one thing that is a non-negotiable for us as Christians is our pledge of allegiance to Jesus. Which is not just in our daily response to him as Christians, but this is a key aspect of the gospel. We pledge allegiance to our Savior, the one who died for me, and we call others to pledge allegiance to our Savior. So as, as Matthew is is writing his gospel about bowing down and worshiping Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. He's the King of Israel. He's telling us here, it's, it's total allegiance to Jesus. He wants to communicate to his readers, his hearers, that what you see before you with this historical, real, genuine account with this young, rich guy following Jesus, believing in Jesus, it's about total allegiance to him. What does sacrificial Jesus discipleship look like? What does it mean to be a sacrificial disciple of Christ? A true Christian, a true follower of Jesus is his sacrificial disciple. We're willing to sacrifice now with the real hope of future reward. It's total allegiance to Jesus. The focus here, this section, and we'll look at 23 to 26 in the next week. One writer puts it like this, quote, the relationship between present sacrifice and future reward, end quote. And today, this, the first part that we're going to look at, it's, it's this discussion between this youngin, this youth, who refused to sacrifice riches to follow Christ. And then, remember, we talked about this last week, Jesus is going to teach his disciples a lot of this section, this next last historical narrative uh, discourse section, is Jesus interacting with his disciples and teaching them, training them. Young man asks three questions. Jesus gives him three answers to show him something. That this man's love for wealth was incompatible with being a true follower of Jesus, a disciple of God's kingdom. 
tell that to those prosperity gospel preachers. I wonder if Kenya West knows this. One is called to follow Jesus no matter the cost, no matter the circumstances. Notice how it begins. It begins with surgery or probing. Jesus does allegiance probing. He's going to probe this man or do surgery. He's going to start cutting. He's going to cut pretty deep with this guy. Probing with this guy. You see here in verses 16 through 20. Watch how it begins. And look, behold, coming to him one said, Teacher, okay, stop right there. Remember something. Whenever you see someone calling Jesus teacher in Matthew's gospel, maybe not necessarily in Mark's gospel, Luke's, John, but we know from Matthew's gospel, I think I have it up here, don't I? Yes, anyone in Matthew's gospel uh, who called Jesus teacher did not adequately understand or believe his true identity. So automatically this guy did not understand or believe who Jesus said he was. He didn't understand Jesus' identity. So that's, that's red flags right there. <clears throat> right there, there's red flags. Teacher, he didn't really believe Jesus to be who he claimed to be. Teacher, what good things shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? Good thing. He wanted the spectacular, the amazing. He was looking for some awesome, great deed that would put him over the top. Make him look awesome. You know, it's interesting. His focus was on his own goodness instead of God's goodness. God is the one who's good. We're not good. A song says, you are good. You are good. And there's nothing good in me. That's so true. He was focused on himself. Um, He wanted to obtain it, eternal life, by Jesus assigning him some dazzling, outstanding good deed that would earn him eternal life. That the way to God was doing good in some outstanding meritorious action to one writer puts it like this, quote, to make good the deficiency he was lacking. This is, this is what this guy wanted. Okay, so now, put yourself in the shoes now of the disciples. Imagine what the disciples were thinking. Here is the ideal recruit to join our team. Yeah! Young, rich, intelligent, eager, ready to do something to earn the kingdom. Perfect. We need that guy. Jesus, what are you doing? Leave the poor guy alone. Uh, Boys, sit down. Let me teach you. No. He's not the ideal recruit. Christ would shatter what they've been taught their whole lives. Jesus, now he starts doing the probing. Verse 17. And he said to him, 
why are you asking me about what is good? Immediately, Jesus began to unravel this young man's erroneous understanding and assumptions. Christ's answer showed the man's focus was on his goodness, not God's, because he says, there's one who is good, and you ain't him, buddy. Plus, not to mention the fact to seek good means one will seek God, not seek to do something. And, and then Jesus says this, but, but if you, you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. He, he challenged the man. What the man truly thought, how to get eternal life. Keep the commands, he says. Jesus statements to the man were probes to reveal his heart. He's beginning to cut to see what's really there. Because notice what, how the man responds. Look at verse 18. He said to him, and from your uh, New American Standard says, which ones? Literally, it's like this. Of what quality? Or of what sort? What? What do you mean of what quality? What's that supposed to Because he thought there were some special commands. There's like some hidden thing here. Uh, Jesus basically going to tell him, no, it's all of them, buddy. Not just the second set, but all of them. See, the real issue was this man's heart, which was set on riches. The root of his problem was covetousness, a love for wealth, which you'll notice Jesus doesn't bring up that commandment. Interesting. Because that's the 10th commandment. Of what sort? Uh, Jesus said, you shall not commit murder, you shall not commit adultery, uh, steal, false witness, honor father and mother, love your neighbors yourself. He listed off the sixth the ninth commandments followed by the fifth and then he ends it adding it to the statement love your neighbor as yourself and, and Jesus he did this on purpose to see if the man understood that these must be kept perfectly and that he fell far short of God's perfect law because remember what the Sermon on the Mount said you've heard it was said you should not commit adultery. You've heard it was said, you should not commit murder. But the issue was the heart. Adultery in the heart. Murder in the heart. Look at how this man responds. Verse 20. The young man said to him, all these things I've kept. Whoa. He audaciously and boldly affirmed he kept them. But then he says this, what am I still lacking? But then he affirmed he was lacking something. It's striking. He knew he was lacking, but he wasn't going to like Jesus' answer. Because Jesus' answer was going to be, which, what you're lacking is me. 
It's not about your goodness. It's about God being good to you in Jesus. Because we're not good people. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to bad people? He knew he was lacking. He understood his deficiency, but he was blinded by his own self-focus and selfishness. He knew he lacked, but he didn't really want it. His self-confidence truly came out. He had total confidence on how he rated on the good righteous scale as far as he was concerned. He was self-deceived because he failed to see that the law kills and it condemns. Uh, The law is like a mirror. You wake up in the morning, you walk by the mirror, you go, oh, I thought I looked better than that. No, I don't. I don't look better than that. (laughs) I look bad. (laughs) Right? You walk by the mirror, that's who you are. That's what the law does. It's just a mirror. It kills you and condemns you. It displays who you are. There's no hope. And the law is good and right. Not us. So look at what Jesus is doing. He's doing surgery. He's cutting and he's cutting deep. He's probing into this guy. And then finally, the allegiance is now revealed. Where does his allegiance truly lie? That's revealed now because look at verse 21. Jesus says, yeah, you're still lacking. If you want to be complete or perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Here's a way to add to your incompleteness, which is actually the key to everything because this is the heart of the gospel. Forsake all your wealth and give to the poor because... His wealth prevented him from truly loving God and his neighbor. And when he would do that, he would have treasure in heaven. Remember uh, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, verse 19 to 24? Don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but treasures in heaven. For where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. What you treasure, that's where your heart is. And we take the view that when Jesus says, sell, And come follow me. He's saying, sell in order to follow me. Sell in order to follow me. Why does Jesus put it like this? Because his wealth is preventing him. He loved his stuff. You want to do something radical? To the young man. You want to do something Amazing, outstanding. Christ called him to divest himself of all his most valuable assets so as to benefit others not like him. If he really didn't love his stuff, this would be no problem because he would have heavenly treasure. You want to do something outlandish? Undermine your whole way of life by leaving all the stuff that you hold dear at God's disposal. Oh, That's big. 
this would force him to trust God. This would force him to rely on him for his needs. To display absolute allegiance to God or Christ. He must cut off his absolute allegiance to his stuff. He must willingly part with his idol. His idol was money. And come follow me. He called the man to rely on Jesus and the values of his kingdom, not on his wealth, not on his self-righteousness. Jesus was saying, sit under me, sit under my teaching, sit under my authority, I must be first. The allegiance is revealed. Surgery and the probing was cut out and allegiance was revealed. There it goes, I think. Look, and there he goes. It was cut out. Well, I can, have, I can make this statement. Well, he kicks this and fires this thing back up. So does Jesus require all his followers to give their money away? That's why you'll see big barrels there in the back. As you go out this morning, you can put all your stuff in the barrels and then we're going to know. No. The issue is what, or, or rather, who we truly love. And Jesus was doing surgery. He was probing. This guy comes to him, but he was revealing what really was in this guy's heart. And, and Jesus is not condemning riches or getting rich. That's an absurd conclusion. Socialists proclaim this. Communists uh, uh, say this. Others who are just, um, they're only thinking about themselves. They say that this is what God says. No, no. It's not about you being rich. It's not about you being wealthy. That's not the issue. The issue is who, what, who we truly love. Do we love Christ? Is he our focus? Uh, oh, yeah, right here. Jesus condemned his covetous love for riches above Jesus. And look at his response. Look at verse 22. But hearing this word, the young man went away deeply grieved because he was one who owned much, who had many possessions. See, he did not really love his neighbor because if he did, he'd be willing to give up everything as Jesus described. And he certainly did not love Jesus nor give Jesus the authority that he deserved because he did not drop everything in order to follow Jesus. He was totally clueless that he failed at the first command to have no other gods before the one good God. He wasn't good. 
God's good. His God was his wealth. And when it came to following Jesus, Jesus demanded all. One writer puts it like this, quote, God demands undivided loyalty from those who would be his, end quote. This is the gospel. The path to God is giving him your all. Another writer says this, quote, loyalty to the kingdom cannot take second place, end quote. Interesting, you contrast um, this man, I should go this way, this man with what Jesus brings up in the parables of the kingdom, excuse me, parables of the kingdom in Matthew chapter 13, do you remember that? When he found the pearl, when he found the treasure, what did this man in Matthew chapter 13 do? What did he do? He sold everything he had and he went and bought that field. He wanted to buy that pearl, wanted to buy that field where that treasure was buried. And you have this guy. Joy, sadness. Great, extreme gladness, sorrow. So he really didn't keep those commandments after all, any of those commandments. Jesus showed that the last section of the commands is done in light of the first command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If, if Jesus is first and foremost, and not wealth, then we will truly love each other. If we have a problem loving each other, then the problem lies in our love for Christ. This man served money, not God. Jesus mentioned this in chapter 6, verse 24. You cannot serve God in money. He loved his stuff, not God, and certainly not Jesus, and definitely not others. Our love for the stuff of this world prevents us from seeking God and his kingdom. And again, excuse me, the evil is not in being rich. The evil is in loving riches more than Jesus Christ. That's where the evil lies. It's, it, it was sad. He, he knew he was lacking, and yet, sadly, he was unwilling to truly do something about it, to follow Jesus no matter the cost. It was right there in front of him. So I asked the question, is, is there anything standing between you and God? What is it? Stuff, money, people, relationships, whatever. Christian, let this challenge you and the gods you serve versus our Lord. This is what this does. A great passage to remind us of the gospel truth and God's grace to us in Christ and our allegiance to him because of the gospel. Our response to him in the gospel. We're gonna do that tangibly in the Lord's Supper as a reminder to us. So Jesus is doing probing. He's doing surgery. It's it's revealed. And then Jesus starts teaching his disciples. Allegiance to Jesus is hard. It's not easy. 
Notice what he says in verse 23. He pulls his disciples aside and starts teaching them. Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And again I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Allegiance to Jesus is hard. Rich people struggle to enter God's kingdom because it's so easy for them to rely on their riches than on God. It's easier to rely on getting whatever they want in this life than depend on Christ. That's the danger of riches. That's the danger of money. That's the danger of wealth. She or he may concentrate on their money to the harm of their spiritual sight, their their spiritual growth. People, they like to quote, right? Money is the root of all kinds of evil. It's not money. I tell people all the time, I say, no, that's not what it says. That's not? No. The love of money. Money's not the root of all sorts of evil. The love of money. The love for riches is deceitful. Wealth can desensitize people to their deepest need, which is Jesus alone. And that's our problem in our American culture. We have such a culture of, of wealth and this is things that we take advantage of all the time. And we get desensitized to our true need of Jesus and the gospel and grace and compassion. And apart from the power of God, no one, especially a rich person, will enter the kingdom. With difficulty will a wealthy person enter God's kingdom. And then Jesus says this here in verse 24. A camel will go through your eye of a needle. That whole thing that maybe you read about, there was some part in the wall of Jerusalem, a little part that the camels would go through, that's called the eye of a needle. That's nonsense. That's not historically true. It's completely and totally inaccurate. There's no historical account of that at all. What is true is in Palestine, the camel was the largest animal and the needle was the smallest thing that they had. So it's easier to get a big, huge camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. It's virtually impossible. That's what Jesus was saying. It was a great story. It's a great story. It's just not true. Truth is, wealth can be a huge barrier to the gospel because we're tempted to be self-sufficient without God or dependence on him. The wall barrier can only be destroyed by God and his power in the heart. It's the only way. And, and, and look at how the disciples respond. In verse 27, astonishingly shocked, astonishingly shocked, and they said, then who can be saved? Why did this shock them? This shocked the disciples because they were under the false notion that riches were proof of God's approval. Are you rich? God has blessed you. They thought that wealth was God's blessing, a sign of his blessing. As a matter of fact, they would have been told, if you're blessed in this life, it means God's gonna bless you in the kingdom. That's what they thought. They were taught this their whole lives. This struck them right between the eyes. It should strike those prosperity gospel preachers right between the eyes and those who listen to them as well. 
then who can be saved? If someone with riches can't enter, and riches doesn't mean that God approves of him or her, how can anyone be saved? I mean, if these people who have God's blessing enter God's kingdom with difficulty, what does it say about most of us who aren't rich? What does it say about me? What does it say about you? Allegiance to Jesus is hard, yet allegiance is made possible by God. You should say God alone. Verse 26, and looking upon them, literally it's this, fixing his gaze upon them. He intently looked at his disciples because he was going to tell them a very important truth. Not someone across the board. Not something, anything, he's not talking about, he's talking about salvation. He's not making some blanket statement about anything. He spoke in the context of salvation. With men, this is impossible. Yes, it is totally impossible, not just the salvation of a rich person, but anyone. His disciples need to understand this. Without God, you can do nothing. Nothing. No one can be saved. But God is not limited like humans. That's why he says, but with God, all things are possible. Only God. God in his powerful, sovereign grace can overcome all all such idolatrous coveting love for stuff and money and change the heart or will of a person to bow down and worship Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, the King of Israel. Only God in His grace can do that. Salvation is in the hands of a powerful God who's able to bring the needed change in a person's heart and life. He can do that. All of it depends entirely upon God. He can save anybody he wants. But it cannot be earned by riches or by poverty. God grants it. It's given to you. It's a gift. As one writer puts it, quote, the kingdom of God overturns all human valuations and possibilities. Or as Jonah said, salvation belongs to the Lord. A true disciple leaves everything to follow Jesus. He's first and foremost, more than girls, money, or gold, fame, achievements, anything. You give him your all. As the song goes, my heart is yours. My heart is yours. Take it all. Take it all. My life in your hands. My heart is is yours. My heart is yours. Take it all. Take it all. My life in your hands. Real eternal life is Jesus having first place. Not out of duty. The way we live matters. 
Because God loves us in his son. Knowing and following Jesus is eternal life. It's total allegiance to Christ. So what does sacrificial Jesus' discipleship look like? What does it mean to be a sacrificial disciple of Christ? A true Christian, a true follower of Jesus is his sacrificial disciple. We're willing to sacrifice now with the real hope of future reward. It's total allegiance to Jesus. What a great segue to celebrate the Lord's Supper. To to remind ourselves, yes, yes, my allegiance is to you. Yes, yes, my devotion is to you. Remind ourselves of his grace, his love for us, and that I can't do anything to get his approval. It's nothing that you have done, it's what Christ has done. And you just say, I'm, I'm, I'm yours. I'm yours. My life in your hands. So we will celebrate this together. If you're a Christian, maybe you're, you're saying, I'm not a member of this church. Look, you come from a church of like faith and practice. We're Baptists, so we would embrace the fact that you have been baptized by immersion. Partake of the elements with us. But if you're not a Christian, this is not for you. You shouldn't be taking this. And if you're a Christian, you have something against someone where you cannot, have not, cannot reconcile with that person and you need to go reconcile. Don't take the elements. Wait. Go try to reconcile. If you have tried and you can't, that's one thing. But if you haven't, wait. Go to reconcile. Then come and celebrate how God's been reconciled with you and his son. Again, let this be a reminder to us of how nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Recant that. Remind yourself of this gospel truth and remind yourself of your allegiance to your your Savior, your Redeemer. His total allegiance to Jesus. Yes, Father, our hearts are yours. We will take the time to remind ourselves of our devotion to you, our allegiance to you. Total allegiance to you. We will remind ourselves of the gospel truth of how much you love us in your son. So take it all. Take it all. My life in your hands. May the words from Matthew's gospel and may the words of the gospel may you allow it to 
to fill your mind right now. To fill your heart. May you be so impacted by God's grace to you and His Son. And how it's not dependent upon anything in you to get God's approval. It's all on what Jesus Christ has done for us, for you. And let this be the response of your heart. So fill your mind with the gospel. And after a few moments, I'll ask these guys that are so faithful to do this to pass out the bread to us, okay?